Let's bow again. Oh, Father, we so look forward to that day that we will be with you uh, because of your Son, and we'll be with him forever because you, through him, having sent him to die for our sins, have brought about the forgiveness of sins. And we have a great hope. We have Christ in us, the hope of glory. Thank you. And Father, I thank you that we can come and gather together and have a taste of that glory as we sing your praises, as we declare your excellencies, as we exalt your name. And Father, I pray as we look into your word now, you'd grant us understanding and wisdom that we might uh, understand what you intended and we want to apply it as you desire. So bless your word as it goes out, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you been to a Walmart lately? <laughs> well, if you've been to one, you'll know there are all kinds of different child-raising philosophies. Just look at all the different kids in Walmart and how they behave. Uh, I saw a kid uh, down on the ground saying, no, 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 to the mommy who's like three years old. Uh, saw their kids obeying their parents, being very good. Uh, we see a picture across this society that we live in of all different types of child-raising philosophies. Now, the world has its child-raising philosophy, which is basically children are good, basically good, and that you need to let them have their way. You need to not restrain them. And that philosophy comes straight out of hell because we know from Scripture that we are evil, that we are born in sin, but yet it is through Christ that we are redeemed. It's through Christ that we have forgiveness of sins. Now, for the Christian, there shouldn't be a mystery on how to raise our children. It shouldn't be a mystery. We should know how to raise our children. And I've shared this passage before. We've come to a portion in Colossians in which we're going to look at the parent-child relationship. And I've shared this before, and this is the first time I'll share it with basically grown children, having gone through the process of applying God's Word and seeing His work in that context. And so with that in mind, would you turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to see how we as believers are to raise our kids. Now you're saying, wait a second, I don't have any kids, or my kids are grown up, whatever it might be. We're going to see that there are some parallels in how God raises us. We're his uh, children. And we're also going to see that all the principles in Colossians that we've learned apply to these relationships. And you might even have opportunities to come alongside those in your family who are Christians to share the word of God with them, that they might be uh, enabled to uh, raise their children in a way that is glorifying to the Lord. You see, the consequences are great. Scripture is very clear that you, you, the way you raise your child does affect their eternal destiny, how they'll receive the, the word. Uh, we'll see later on that if you don't deal with certain things, biblically speaking, you're, 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 you're not protecting your child from Sheol, from death. So with that in mind, what does God have to say about it? Not what does Greg have to say about it, not what do you have to say about it, but what does God have to say about it? And you might realize as we go through this that, wow, I blew it. And if you are a Christian and you blew it, then we'll see how we should respond as we, as we learn from God's Word. Because we all make mistakes. No one's perfect. We all fail, right? But this hopefully will be a blessing to those who are raising children and an opportunity and a venue to pass along to others who are raising children. Now, again, we've been in the book of Colossians. And I'm going to abbreviate this uh, context because we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, but uh, very clearly, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Colossians based on a report that he's received from Epaphras about their faith in Jesus and their love for one another. And yet there were threats to their faith. There were those trying to delude them with persuasive arguments, those uh, attempting to uh, uh, spiritually kidnap them with worldly philosophies packaged uh, in a religious context, such as uh, following the shadows um, or uh, following religious experience or whatever it might be, or rules, packaged uh, man's wisdom, packaged religiously, which are of no value, chapter 2, verse 23, concerning fleshly indulgence. 
And the Apostle Paul's solution to the issue of these false teachers was to focus on Jesus Christ and his sufficiency and who we are in him. He is uh, the Redeemer. He's the Creator. He is before all things. He holds all things together. He's the head of the body. He's preeminent. He's fully God and fully man. He died for us to present us holy and blameless. And he is in you, and you are in him. And we saw the Apostle Paul share that the ministry was about proclaiming him and proclaiming his word fully. And in chapter 2, that in him are all the treasures in Christ, are the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So don't get taken captive. Trust him, because in him you have a complete salvation. And in him you are complete. And therefore, we should be setting our minds on the things above, not the things of earth. We should be putting off and killing off sin and putting on Christ, renewing our minds, uh, letting his peace rule in our hearts, filling his word, his, his, our, our hearts with his word, being controlled, choosing to allow his word to govern all our actions and words. The word richly dwelling in us, producing, admonishing, and teaching in true worship. And then we came to the point last week where we started to see how this is applied in relationships. And we saw the marriage relationship. And today we'll look at the parent-child relationship. Then we'll look at the slave-master-work relationship. And then how we're to relate to non-believers. And so this book is so practical because it points us to the sufficiency of Christ through his word. Okay. So how are we believers to raise our kids in Christ? Well, as we look at this, I need to warn you that if you take these principles apart from abiding in Jesus Christ, you're going to destroy your family. You're going to destroy your kids. If you are not personally yielding to Christ, allowing his word to dwell richly, if you're doing this rotely in the flesh, you take what's being said from Scripture and you apply that, you're going to hurt your family. You're going to hurt your kids. You need to be walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't raise your kids apart from relying on Christ. He gives us his word, but he gives us himself by his spirit as the power to fulfill his word. We need to be walking in Christ. And unless the Lord builds the house, they who labor, labor in vain. You can go through, so many people want a list, just like in the bad guys with chapter 2, a list of do's and don'ts for child training. To do all this, and that's how they're going to raise their kids. Rather than depending on Christ in accordance to his word working in my heart. So clearly, we need to have his word filling our hearts. We saw this back in chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding that you may walk in a manner worthy, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Tremendous, right? So then, we need to recognize that unless we are allowing his peace to rule and allowing his word to dwell richly, setting our mind on things above, hey, you might as well just leave then. Right, But no, I know you want to be here. You want to hear the word of God. And so God is very faithful to explain to us what we are to do. So turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. And I was going to start back in verse 1. But you can read that later. You can read up to it. we got a long message. Uh, hope you brought your sack lunches. No, just kidding. Um, I'm going to start up where we left off a couple weeks ago. Verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Remember that? Let the peace be the umpire, and be thankful, right? You know when, hey, you don't got that, something's going on. My walk with the Lord, something's happening. i got to let the peace of Christ rule over my heart. His peace, not the world's peace, not some fake peace, but his peace. And he says, let the word of Christ dwell within you, richly within you, or richly dwell within you, with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another. And then with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, that kind of pretty much covers it all, doesn't it? Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. This is what we saw last week. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. 
And now these very basic but uh, straightforward commands for the parent-child relationship. Children, verse 20, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing in the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. The Bible has a lot to say about how to raise children because raising children is very, very important. You see, it mirrors the relationship we have with the Father in heaven who raises us spiritually in a sense. He is our Abba Father. And so we see that. Now, in our passage, notice we have a command, first of all, for children. It says here, children, be obedient to your parents. The term be, be obedient, hoop akuo, Hupo under akuo means to listen. We get our word acoustics from that. It means to put your ear under the sound so that you can hear it. And it has the implication of obeying that. And we all understand that. You say to your children, listen to me. That means listen to what I'm saying and do it, right? It speaks of obedience. And indeed, biblical obedience carries a sense of listening with the intent of obeying. Kids, this is why parents make sure you are listening. (laughs) This is why we say, are you listening to us? That's the first step of obedience, to listen. This is the same thing for our walk with Jesus. The first step to obedience is listening. Listening to him. His spirit prompting you through the word in your heart. Listening. He's sharing. Hey, no, don't get angry. Don't give Satan a place. Uh, Let that go. Uh, uh, Gentle answer turns away wrath. He's prompting you. Listen to him, right? And so here, children, he says, be obedient to your parents. Now, this is why I get uh, concerned at times. And, you know, we don't have as many kids as we used to have in our in our body. But uh, I used to see a parent talking to a child, and the child's off in, in space. You know, just doing something else, and they're not gabbing their attention. They're not listening. Child's just way over here. Now, children are children, right? They're not adults, as we'll talk about. But we need to get their attention. With small children, eyes up here, look at me. Pay attention, right? Now, God gets our attention in all sorts of ways, doesn't he? He uses circumstances and situations to cause us to go, yes, Lord, right? All right? So then, now, if you've told them to look at you, now I'm talking about those old enough to understand, not babies or infants, right? And they don't look at you, they're rebelling. They're rebelling, right? That's rebellion. And we'll talk about how to deal with that in a minute. And adults, make sure when you're speaking to your children, you have their attention. You have their attention. And kids need to listen when parents speak. Your parents. Your parents speak to you. Now, with that in mind, I I see children disobeying at times with their eyes pulling away. But we need to understand the age and the maturity of the child, right? There's a lot of context. There's context here. If you take this apart from abiding in Jesus and allowing his wisdom concerning their age and maturity and his word, you're going to mess them up. I'm not talking about being unreasonable. I'm talking about prayerfully in the context of the maturity and age of your child. What would you expect? Obviously, would you expect a one-year-old to give you their undivided attention? Absolutely not. Of course not, right? Um, but if you've got three or four-year-old that's not looking up, when you give them a short basic command and you tell them, eyes up here, you remind them something's starting to happen. Guess what's happening? Their sinfulness that they got from Adam is starting to be revealed. You see? And God has placed you in that position to guide them to see that and to be changed, as we'll see, and to grow. So here, uh, we know we know when our children have the ability to look and not, Right? We know when they're mature enough to, to have their attention upon us. We know when they've grown up. It's context, right? So here we have children commanded by God to obey their parents. They're commanded to listen and place themselves in a position of a, under the authority of their parents to listen. We'll talk about this in a little bit, but this is the only command you got for kids. Obey your parents. It's really simple. It's really simple. Now, with this in mind, it brings up an interesting question. Well, what age do children become adults? We got all kinds of stuff in our society. We got kids who are, who are, you know, 17 and 18, kids crossing the border. No, they're not kids. <laughs> they're adults, okay? You got the, the world seems to say if you're under 18, you're a child. 
If you're above, you're an adult. Well, I don't think it's that, that simple. Take a look at Luke chapter 2 with the example of our Lord Jesus. And it's so great that we have a God who took on human flesh, who lived the perfect life. And we have his perfect example. We have his word to help us understand. Luke chapter 2. And it's interesting because he was in submission to them. So when he was talking back to them, there was interaction at this age, and that was okay. It wasn't lack of submission. It was godly, right? We need to be careful how we raise our kids. Learn from these lessons, okay, as I read this. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. And his parents, that's speaking of Jesus, and that would be Mary and Joseph, right? Luke 2, 41, used to go up to Jerusalem every year for the feast of Passover, of the Passover. And when he became what? Twelve. Twelve years old, okay? Get that. They went up according to the custom of the feast, and as they were returning, spending a full, full number of days, the boy, notice the wording here, right? The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents were unaware of it, but supposed uh, him to be in the caravan and went to day's journey. Yikes! That's, uh, you, you got a day away from Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, uh, well, where's, where's Jesus? <laughs> Uh, Jesus, right? <laughs> Where are you? You know, right? Um, but it's supposed to be in the caravan when a day's journey began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him, okay? And it came about after three days. <laughs> they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers and listening to them and asking them questions. This is amazing. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son. Now that word here is our word, technon, child, children, same word, child. And if it's spoken to us, to a boy, son, daughter, right? Why have you treated us this way? Well, he didn't treat him bad. We're going to see he didn't. Behold, you and your father have been actually looking for you. And he said to them, Now notice, by the way, at certain ages, there should be a discourse. And the son may be perfectly righteous in having that discourse. And Jesus was perfectly righteous in the way he responded here, by the way. little example. Sometimes we think we've got to shut them down so they can't speak. No, we'd be wise. And we need to listen at times, okay? And notice what he says here. He says here, uh, Did you not know... Uh, it says, and they said to him, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? And they did not understand this statement which he made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And he continued, not that he wasn't, but he continued in subjection to them. Okay? And Mary, his mother Mary, treasured these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with men. So by our Lord's example, he's 12 years old, that's early teens, and he is considered a child, and he continued in subjection, right? So that's, that's all we have in Scripture to help us understand, at least up to that point, still a child, okay? Children, obey your parents. Uh, that could be up to 12, 13 years old, right? Now, certainly there needs to be the honoring of parents and obeying when they're in the family. We'll see that later on as the age goes farther. But here, specifically concerning Children, okay? Now back in our passage, what areas are children to be obedient in? Verse 20, children be obedient to your parents in chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 20, in what? All things. All things. Be obedient in all things. Now kids, obviously, if your parents are telling you to sin, this is, this is in the context of a believing family, by the way. If your parents are telling you to sin, that's not what God doesn't want you to obey that. Okay? If they're telling you to steal something or hurt somebody, that's not from God. God is not saying you must obey them through this right here. Okay? The context here is believing parents, in the context of Colossians, yielded to Christ. And we have the command, children, be obedient to your parents in all things. In all things. You see, kids, God loves you, and he knows the best for you. Yet because of sin, you've gone astray in your hearts. All of us have gone our own way. We've all gone astray. And indeed, you needed no one to teach you. I needed no one when I was a kid to teach me to disobey. But I need someone to teach me to learn how to obey, because that's going to relate to salvation and a real 
relationship with Jesus. So you're to obey your parents and everything there, given by God to watch over, protect, provide, teach, and discipline you for your good in the Lord. So you have one direct command. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. Now I'm going to go through a few reasons. We have one reason here, but a couple of reasons specifically why God gives us the why. He doesn't have to, but he does. We know certainly it's a command. So obviously God says so. That's good enough, right? But notice he also says, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. If you as a child want to please Jesus, obey your parents. It's well-pleasing. God is well-pleased. Now, you think people say, well, they don't know the Lord yet. They're not sure if they're saved or not. It says it's well-pleasing. They're children, and God is working on their hearts, and hopefully they're getting saved. Hopefully they are saved. It's well-pleasing. You want to please the living God of the universe? You want to please Jesus? Obey your parents, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Children, uh, be God-pleasers. It's well-pleasing to obey your parents and everything. They say, pick up your shoes. And you say, yes, Mom, knowing that that pleases the Lord. Right? You start to learn here. This is helping you learn a motivation for obedience. Starting, you want to teach your children a motivation for obedience. Not simply, God said it, yes, but it's pleasing. It pleases God when we obey him by faith as adults, right? And here it simply says, it's well-pleasing. You want to be a God-pleaser? Obey your parents. Obey your parents. Now, notice, let's look for some other reasons. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to go back and forth between these two parallel passages. But Ephesians 6, 1, and I'll read this for you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. It's the context of the relationship with the Lord, right? It's in the sphere of a relationship with Jesus, right? For this is right. This is the right thing to do. It is the dikaios, that means righteous. It is the righteous thing to do. Some of you kids and teens might struggle with what God's will is for you. Well, the right thing is to obey your parents. The right thing is to obey your parents. Your parents may say things you don't like, but obey them in everything. As long as it's not causing you to sin, you obey them because God has placed them in authority over you and he is preparing you for submitting to him later on in the context of salvation. Okay? It's really important. What is God's will for children? Be obedient to your parents in all things. That's God's will. That's God's will. Now, why else to obey? Notice in our passage here, or Ephesians 6, there's another reason. Verse 2, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the earth. It's actually dangerous to disobey your parents. It's physically dangerous to disobey your parents. Your life might get cut short. Now, the context here really comes from the Old Testament, although it is repeated in the New Testament. In the law, in um, Exodus 20.12, we have, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land in which the Lord gives you. Now, how would your days be cut short? Certainly by foolishness, but your days could also be cut short by dishonoring your parents. Guess what? In the law, if you cursed your parents, that was not a good deal. Uh, or stroke your parents. Exodus 21.15, whoever strikes a father or mother shall surely be put to death. Hey, your days aren't going very long there. You disobey your parents and the law and the old covenant, you're, you're, you're done. Because this directly relates to how we should relate to God. You see? So in Proverbs 30, verse 17, the eye that mocks a father and scorns a mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. You're going to die. You disobey, you, you dishonor your parents. You Now, we all sin. We've all done it. But you live that way, a continual habitual dishonoring of your parents. You're not convicted and confessing it. I'm sorry, Lord, that was wrong, right? You, you, you live that way. You're as good as dead. The birds are going to be picking your eyes out. Earlier I was watching the, those uh, vultures fly around there. I'm thinking there's something dead out there. Birds are going to pick it out, right? Very vivid consequence of dishonoring your parents because it's a picture of dishonoring God, okay? It's very important, okay? So then, in the Old Testament context, context 
honor your father and mother, there's vivid consequences. And now here, in the New Testament, if you don't, it reveals a heart problem, right? It does. If you don't honor your parents, there's a heart problem. And guess what? Kids have heart problems. All of us did. All of us came into this life with heart issues. We had hearts that were stained by sin because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, some of you might be continually disrespectful and defiant to your parents. Some of you listening might be that way. You don't want to please God. You don't care about Jesus. But today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. You see, because the equations of sin is death, the consequences are eternal hell. But if you recognize your sin and you turn to Jesus, who died for your sins and rose from the dead, you say, save me, Lord Jesus, he'll save you. You'll be delivered from your sin. Repent, believe, and be forgiven. What a wonderful thing. Now, some of you kids know Jesus. You've placed your faith in him, and, and yet you want, you want to obey, but it's so hard and you fail. We all understand that, right? Run to Jesus. You say, how? Pray. Listen to his word. Hide in your heart. Sing it. Ask your parents to read it to you, to teach you about Jesus. Let it dwell richly. Turn to the Lord Jesus. Help me. Help me, Jesus. Help me obey mommy. Help me obey daddy. Help me. He, that's a prayer he's going to answer. You believe and trust in him, he will answer you. And then when you fail, which we do, the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Amen. Jesus will help you today. One simple command for children, obey your parents in all things. Be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing. Well-pleasing. Well, maybe, kids, you can think of a disobedient time that you did. You disobeyed and you didn't confess it. Now it's time to go, Lord, I'm sorry that I, I was wrong. Just admit it. He'll forgive you. You'll be cleansed. Okay, so that's the children's responsibility. Obey your parents in the Lord. Later on, we'll see that uh, it's, a good, it's, a good, it's good for parents to understand this, too, because you say, what's your job? Obey. <laughs> what's your one command? Obey mommy and daddy. You know, that's, a, that's pretty simple, right? It's pretty simple. Well, now look at our passage here. It's going to go to the father's responsibility, and I think we're going to see some things relating to mothers also and parents. Back in our passage, Colossians 3.21, fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. Look how gracious God is. God does not want parents to mess their kids up through coming and, and raising them and disciplining them in the wrong way. He doesn't want that. Right on the heels of children obey is a protective statement for children that fathers would function properly. It's really wonderful. He says here, Fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. And in, in Ephesians 6, 4, And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So concerning the father's responsibility, I want to share two things, the things they are to do, and or the things they're not to do, and the things they are to do. Well, first of all, what are they not to do? Notice the warning. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. This is directed to fathers here right now, not parents. Certainly mothers can exasperate them, but here it's directed to fathers. Fathers, do not exasperate. We can be tough guys, right? We are in charge of the household. We can lay down the law on our kids, right? We need to be careful. We need to be cautious. Children are to obey in all things, but yet we are to obey the Lord also in all things in how we relate to our kids, as we're going to say. I do believe the principle applies to mothers, but here it is directly to um, fathers. Now, that doesn't mean mothers are not involved, as we'll see. We saw that wives are to submit to their husbands, right? It's supposed to be a relationship, a love relationship, where they work together as one flesh, raising children, right? But here, um, we see that mothers, also in Scripture, mothers and fathers, are to both instruct, by the way, both both sides. We'll see this later on, but Proverbs 1, 8, Hear my son, your father's instruction, do not forsake your mother's teaching. Okay? Proverbs 6, 20, My son, observe the commandment of your father, and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Okay? But here we see that fathers are ultimately responsible in the discipline, as we're going to see which means parents work as a team together in the Lord with the father as the head of the household, working together to do God's will in relationship to children. A few passages. We know that uh, 
It's the men that are to discipline, we'll see. doesn't mean parent, my wives aren't to discipline under the Father's authority. We'll talk about that. But Deuteronomy 8.5, Thus you are to know in your heart the Lord God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Proverbs 13.1, A wise son accepts his father's discipline. Proverbs 15.5, A fool rejects his father's discipline. Proverbs 13.24, He who spares the rod hates his son. Uh, Ephesians 6, 4, And fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It is primarily the father's responsibility to institute, as we'll see, discipline, which includes training, instruction, and chastisement. It doesn't mean the mother is not involved. They are absolutely involved, as we'll see. But it's a team with the father as the sovereign head over the family. They're ultimately responsible. It doesn't mean that uh, wait till your father gets home. <laughs> Sometimes the brothers need to do the discipline that the father would implement if they were there and they work together as a team, right? So here, back to our passage. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. It's a present tense imperative command. You can almost say, stop exasperating your children. Because guess what? We're going to exasperate our children in the flesh when we do things apart from abiding in Jesus. It's going to exasperate them. Now, this word exasperate, arethizo, speaks of to excite, provoke, or irritate. Provoke or irritate. You're messing with little hearts. In uh, Ephesians 6, 4, different word, fathers do not provoke, and the word is to provoke to anger, make them angry. Don't make your kids angry. Now, that doesn't mean they're not going to get angry on their own because of sin, but don't you be the reason that they get angry for, by doing something wrong, by the way. You may do the right things and they may get angry. That's not provoking them to anger, okay? So here, we see this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Uh, we have here, do not exasperate your children. What's the rationale? That they may not lose heart. We have a great God. He is concerned about the little hearts of the kids, those who are well-pleasing when they obey, those who mess up. He's concerned about their hearts. So many parents exasperating children, so many fathers doing so. I've seen it a lot, and it's it's heartbreaking to see. It's heartbreaking to see. He says that they might not lose heart. The term lose heart means to be discouraged, to feel like giving up, to have a broken spirit. Now, concerning adults, think of broken spirit um, in terms of uh, Proverbs seventeen twenty two: a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Proverbs eighteen fourteen: The spirit of a man can endure his sickness, but a broken spirit who can bear? That's what adults think about a child. That you might, they might, you might not lose heart. That's a terrible thing. That's a terrible thing. Dads and moms, children are children. They are not adults. They do not have physical and moral and spiritual capability to mature and handle life. They are children, not little adults. What an awful thing to see a child with a broken spirit. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Don't irritate them. Don't excite them in a way that's sinful as we'll see. And we'll talk about ways from Scripture that you could do that, ways we fall. Don't do that. Our children, by and large, should be joyful. And I've, you've ever seen kids that never seem to be happy? They're always sad. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Could it be they're angry? Maybe from their own sin, but could it be from parents? Could it be they've lost heart? They've been provoked? Maybe. We don't know. The Lord knows. But we are commanded not to exasperate them. This has, this works in all sorts of different relationships, right? We shouldn't be exasperating each other, right? But how much more our kids, right? Don't provoke them to anger. Don't cause their little spirits to give up. They're children. They're children. Now, I can think of many examples, and there's some Bible teachers, they'll give you a million lists of things that provoke them, but it's all just practical stuff from the world. That's fine, but I think we should look at things from Scripture that reveal how a child could be provoked and learn from that. Let me share some ways here uh, that we are not to do, things we're not to do, and there are evidences of not abiding in Jesus. And first of all, we should not show favoritism to different siblings. Think about it. Indeed, in Genesis, Jacob's favoritism 
provoked his other sons to anger towards Joseph and jealousy. And they were so angry, they attempted to kill him. That's not good. Showing favoritism, okay? Now, we can show favoritism by not protecting a child against other siblings, right? We can show favoritism in all different ways. By not protecting them or favoring others. You know, some children are, are naturally likable and have great demeanors. And some are kind of hard and they're difficult. And you might tend to show favoritism towards the one that's naturally, uh, by personality, not so upset and calm. Or is calm, but not so upset, right? We need to be watching over our kids also. Don't allow the older siblings, the stronger ones, to get away with treating younger ones in an ungodly manner. Don't do that. Don't let the younger ones manipulate or play the victim. Okay? So how else can fathers exasperate their children? They can exasperate by not providing for physical needs. You know, you're responsible for your family. We see very clearly that families are to take care of their widows. First Timothy 5, verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his own, that's speaking of widows in the context, especially for those of the own household, he is denied to faith and is worse of an unbeliever. How much more for the children? You don't provide for the needs of your children? I'm talking about clothing and food and a place to, to, to be and to be alone, wherever it might be. You're worse than a non-believer. If that's the standard for our widows, how much more for our children, right? Okay, you could provoke them. You could, you could provoke them. Little broken hearts. Little broken hearts. Exasperate them. They're not going to go out and get a job and take care of stuff. You're their parents. They're children. You can also provoke them by not providing for their emotional needs, showing affection. You can provoke them by neglecting them, not listening or paying attention. You know, for wives, it says, wives, you're to, to teach to love, older women teach you women to love their husbands, to love their children. You should love your children. If you don't show affection for your children by, and listen to them, you're neglecting them. And if you neglect your child, you're going to have a discouraged child or an angry child that's going to look elsewhere for those needs to be met. Especially if you've got a daughter and you're neglecting her, eventually she's going to find a place where those needs are met, okay? Don't neglect them. Don't exasperate them. Tell them you love them in the context of righteousness. Give them a hug, righteously a kiss. Love your children. Love your children. How else can they exasperate? Well, also you want to listen to how the little souls have to say. Listen to their little hearts, right? Secondly, fathers can exasperate their children with their words. Criticizing, tearing down, belittling, joking. Little jokes that suddenly demean a small child's heart. Little innuendos that don't build up and edify. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your own, but set that which is good for edification and the need of the moment that it gives grace to those who hear. How much more your children, Right? I heard one man at our old church, he calls his little child, the little rebel. And the kid can hear it. I'm like, you shouldn't be doing that. You don't call your child in front of other people, my little rebel. And he meant it because the kid was out of control. But that was not the kid's problem. That was the parent's problem, by the way. Watch what you say around your children. They are not adults. They are children. They have very soft little hearts that will get very hard. If you exasperate them, don't do it. James 3 makes it clear that the tongue can cause great harm. It's a world of evil, can tear down. Don't exasperate your children with your words, but build them up. Build them up. This is for believers, by the way. It's for believers, right? Now, you can also exasperate them by having unreasonable and inconsistent standards. What would be one of the worst nightmares you could think of if God's standards changed? If God was a God who changed, your, your, and all of a sudden he's got different standards. That would be horrible. But God does not change. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now there are circumstances where things change, where God leads you to do something else. I'm talking about standards. Don't be inconsistent one pastor writes, there's no worse type of parent where one day he's in a kindly mood and is indulgent, allows the child to do almost anything he likes, but the next day flares up in rage if the child scarcely does anything at all. 
inconsistent evil, right? Don't be that way. You're gonna exhaust, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna hurt their little hearts. You're gonna hurt them. You're gonna hurt them. And guess what? It's gonna mess up with their relationship for coming to Jesus too. It's gonna mess up their souls. Also, don't exasperate your children with false accusations. You know, we easily jump to conclusions at times. We think something's did, oh, you did that. You know, we better know they did that for sure. We, now we may have inklings. I remember a time where I, I, I knew, and I'm sorry, Julie, I knew that Julie was possibly lying, but I hadn't caught her. And I wasn't going to discipline her for what I thought. I asked her, did you brush your teeth? You remember that one, right? And then I caught her. Not brushing her teeth, and I asked her if she brushed her teeth. She said yes, and that brought about the discipline and the heart working on, okay? Um, you do not want to falsely accuse them, even if you think they are. Make sure you actually see it. God does not falsely accuse us. He is very much against that, by the way. That will exasperate a child, because you may be right most of the time, but the one time you're wrong and you discipline them when they didn't do it, you're going to mess their hearts up. You're going to mess them up. Just pray, Lord, help me see it if it's really happening. Sure enough, it, it happens, all right? Okay. We can also exasperate, as we'll see, with lax or no discipline at all, or um, excessive, unreasonable discipline and consequences. Yes, children will see in a minute need consequences, but there's an avenue which they need to be restored. God restores. When we, his consequence, he restores us. I heard about this one kid. They took away his toys for like a month. Are you kidding me? He's a kid. Give him an opportunity to do what's right and help him guide him and give back those privileges and work through that. You got to be careful. You got to break the little hearts. Don't exasperate your children. Now, fathers, if you've done this, you need to confess and God will forgive you. He'll forgive you. Okay, so then uh, we see that fathers are not to exasperate their children. And the reason why is because that they wouldn't lose heart. It's also a command. Notice there's another reason. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't make them angry. And that doesn't mean that what you're doing, if it's right, if it makes them angry, that's wrong. No, it's just talking about doing wrong that causes them to be angered, okay? But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The term bring them up is used back in Ephesians 5.29. It's the word nourish. Nourish and cherish, right? Feed and nourish them. Provide tender care in the context of discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay? We need to instruct our children. We need to discipline our children. The term discipline here in the New, in the New King James, training, uh, and this is in Ephesians, the word paideia, originally it means to educate. Uh, we get our word pedagogy, that means to educate children. Pedo speaks of children. Um, we get our word pediatric, right? Okay. So it's talking about children, right? And here it's this process of tender nourishing for the purpose of training in godliness. Tender nourishing isn't an angry dad pulling out the paddle running after his kid. We're going to talk about spanking in a minute. But it's tender. It's in the context of love like God does with us. As we saw in Proverbs earlier, mothers are also responsible to teach, right? To instruct. Part of that's part of this instruction, as we'll see. So now when I talk about the subject of discipline or correction of children, uh, we need to be careful here. First of all, again, it is the father's responsibility ultimately, but the mothers and fathers work together. They work as a team, right? One flesh team to, to discipline children. Now, unfortunately, in the evangelical church, we have become uh, really, uh, discipline is a matter of pragmatism or preference. You know, you prefer timeouts, we prefer spanking, you use your hand, we use a switch, whatever works. Uh, we need to go to the Word of God. We need to go to the Word of God. Proverbs 19.18, discipline your son while there is still hope, and do not desire his death. Wow. What can we gather from this? First of all, we are to discipline our children. This is a command. And it says, do not desire his death. The implication is, 
First of all, there is a, there is a period of time in which there's hope. Discipline while there's hope. There's a window of time where the young heart is moldable through loving discipline in accordance with God's will and God's ways and abiding in Jesus. But that time is, is done while there's still hope. Chain up in a child and the way she go, even when he's older, she'll not depart from it. God has ordained a period of time in which the heart will respond. But there comes an age that they reach where if you've not obeyed this command, it could become hopeless in that sphere. You've missed God's window for shaping the heart. Now, with all sin, God is gracious. We can confess, but there's always consequences, right? We pray for that mitigation by his grace of consequences, and we pray for that. Now, inherent in discipline is training. You know, it's not just spanking, as we'll see. But as we're going to see, there is... Um, there is something more than just the training, as we'll say. Again, our passage, this passage in Proverbs, I want to read again, Proverbs 19, 18, Discipline your son while there's hope, and do not desire his death. Wait a second, desire his death? You could say it this way, do not set your heart on his destruction. You say, what are you talking about? What's Solomon saying here? Well, I think he's saying, if you don't discipline your son, you effectively desire him to be destroyed. That's effectively what's happening. And that's what will come if he's not disciplined. Solomon says in Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares his rod hates his son. They might not have a hatred for him, but they hate him in that they love themselves more than they hate, than they, than love their child. So they hate him respectively. So they don't do what they need to do. To hold back from using the rod is to hate your son or daughter. To discipline in love, in my opinion, we see is God's love through through you. Now, why do children need discipline? And we'll talk about this. Proverbs twenty two fifteen. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it from him. The word bound up is tied up. It's tied up. Foolishness. Foolishness is tied up. And as we train our children, they need to be chastised because of foolishness in their hearts, as we'll say. And God has ordained the rod of discipline as his method to remove foolishness. God says that. That's the method. In Proverbs, foolishness and the fool speak of the behavior of an unbeliever, by the way. Foolishness speaks of rebellion against God's ways and his word. And the way to remove it is through the rod of discipline when the heart is willingly or ready to respond, or at the age that it can respond. Okay, so now I need to give the big caveat because we're going to put this over the air, you know, because uh, the world is all messed up, by the way. Um, the world, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to, at this time, we're going to look at what the scripture has to say about what the world says is or calls corporal punishment or spanking. That's what they call it. You look it up, that's what they call it. And we believers need to be as wise as serpent and as serpents as innocent as doves. We'd be really wise about the the age we live in right now and the context of the culture. And what do I mean? Folks, in our current culture, some authorities uh, might wrongly see anything related to corporal punishment and spanking as child abuse. It's just the way it is. There are some authorities that are like that in our country. Just be aware of that. They will see that. They they will see that as that. And thus, if you do so, your children could be taken away from you. That's reality. That's reality. Parents, you need to know the laws and the current legal culture in which the area in which you live. And do you where, do you dare you risk having your kids taken away from you wrongly and unjustly because of where you choose to live? Think about that. Think about that. Are you going to obey scripture in relationship to discipline? You need to be in an area in which the legal system uh, is is not does not see that as abuse and is not abused by those who hate Christ. Okay? You just might need to die to self for your children's sake. Because God commands us what we're to do with our kids, and we're going to look at it. Okay? Many occasions do people uh, move in Scripture to get away from certain types of persecution. You see that. And God ordains it, and he sustains it, and he brings it forth. Okay? 
Secondly, you better listen and interpret and apply the word rightly and wisely, or you could abuse your children. And then you are responsible, not those who taught you, not, not God from his word. You alone are responsible for misunderstanding God's word and injuring your children. That is totally, totally wrong. You need to be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Okay, so now with that said, how is the foolishness of a child's heart removed? Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. What is the rod? Well, the rod speaks of basically a wooden branch, a stick. That's what it speaks of. It's a piece of wood like a rod, right? And if you turn your child around, you will see a large fleshy part well suited for a small flexible twig or such implement. Just the way God has designed it. And I would say, folks, don't use your hands. I don't see anywhere in Scripture that, that discipline comes from the hand. I don't see that. Hug your children with your hands. Use the rod for discipline. Scripture is quite clear about the means of corrective discipline. A flexible implement, a rod, can produce a temporal sting on the bottom without any lasting pain, bruise, injury, or, or injury to the child. Biblical corrective discipline is never abusive. It is temporal, redemptive. You know, I heard of some people that came and used to use a boat pedal. Are you kidding me? What are you, what kind of, what's going on in your heads, folks? That's something very wrong, okay? Biblical discipline is never abusive. You should never, ever injure or hurt your child while disciplining them. Ever. That's child abuse, not discipline. Biblical discipline is never abusive. It is non-injurious. It is temporal, redemptive, and never punitive. And I have to have these qualifications because there are people who will take something and go out and abuse it and then say, well, that's what God said. That's what the pastor said. No, that's not what the pastor said. That's not what God said. You sinned and you abused your child. God's way is not injurious. It is not abusive. It is redemptive. Okay? So if you leave here in any way, shape, or form, you discipline your child in a way that they get injured or hurt, then you have completely misunderstood what God's word is saying concerning discipline, and you, not God, his, or his word, or those who share it with you, uh, you alone are culpable for your wrong actions. So biblical discipline is never abusive. It's temporal, it's non-injurious, and redemptive. Okay, so with that in mind, as I shared before, fathers, it's ultimately your responsibility to discipline, as we see. <laughs> Now, parents, it's a serious consequence for not righteously disciplining your children. Proverbs uh, 29.15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way, I think of Walmart, a child who gets his own way brings shame on his mother. Okay, that's shame, that's one consequence. But there also are eternal consequences. Turn to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23, verse 13. There's a lot of scripture on this, folks. There's a lot of scripture on it, right? Do not hold back discipline from the child. Hey, that's God saying. I'm not saying that. I'm reading it. God says it. And although you beat him with a rod, that's not meaning beating like you think of somebody beating somebody up. I beat a drum. You know, that's beating, okay? It's, it's a, it's a term, okay? Although you beat him with a rod, he will not die. They may scream like they're dying. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from Sheol. That's a soul issue. The body going to Sheol, that's physical death. The soul, that is spiritual death. His soul from Sheol. If you don't discipline your children in accordance with God's ways, you are risking their eternal destiny. Very serious. Very serious. Although they may protest, it's not going to kill them to be flicked with a flexible twig on their rears. Okay? It's, it will, but it will begin the process of killing off their foolishness and their rebellion. And that would have led to Sheol, death, or even hell. Okay? God has ordained temporal, non-injurious pain as a physical consequence this is a preparatory step to us to realize that we're sinful and sin brings consequences. Just as Jesus took the consequence for us, he was crushed for our iniquities on the cross. 
Now, again, I've got to give more caveats, but you know, I can't share everything, so I just trust that the, you'll, you'll go to the Word and have that as your final authority, as always. I, do we use the rod for every little thing? We use the rod to address rebellion. It says that foolishness is bound up in a hard child, the rod will get. It's for rebellion. It's for that foolish rebellion, as you see, like fools. It's basically rebellion against God. The rod addresses rebellion. Rebellion. It addresses the rebellious heart attitude that is revealed in rebellious behavior. You don't use the rod for every little thing. We train. You have other consequences, whatever it might be. This is for rebellion. And it pains my heart when I've seen parents disciplining for the wrong reasons. For a child maybe being a child. It's horrible. You want to exasperate and you're going to do that when the child's not rebelling. Now, when a parent, when a child doesn't do what you say after being thoroughly instructed in an age-appropriate manner and they don't do it and being reminded if necessary, that's rebellion. Now, what's the epitome of rebellion, by the way? When your child says to you, no. That is the epitome of rebellion. Now, I've got two of my kids here. Did I ever let you say no to us? Ever. Never. Address that. Address it. I see kids in stores, no, mommy, no, no, no. And I want to go over and say, don't you ever say that to your parents. You know? But I think, okay, you know, answer a fool according to his fault. He deserves not according to his fault. You know, okay. So, but the reality is, that's the epitome of rebellion. When it's coming out of their mouth, no, that's the same thing as rebelling in their hearts when they're, when they're not doing it, right? Okay. So with that in mind, find my spot here. Age appropriate. Children need to be trained. You know, I've seen people, children be disciplined for not sitting right in church. Come on. You need to train them. Need to help them learn. Learn how to do things. They're children. That's not rebellion unless you're clearly sharing, but it's age appropriate, right? It's age appropriate. You need to be careful. You know? Context. The peace of Christ should be ruling your heart when you're disciplining. If it's not, don't discipline. The word of Christ should be dwelling richly in you. If it's not, don't discipline. Okay? Peace ruling, word controlling. Age-appropriate context. In the context of prayer, Lord, give me wisdom on if we should use spank or not. Give me wisdom, Lord God. Help me understand. And by the way, we often did things like you're going to get God's grace, where sometimes they deserved a spanking. We said, you know what? We prayed about it. You're getting God's grace this time. God's a very gracious God. It's unmerited. You don't deserve this right now. Give him God's grace every once in a while, okay? But let him know. A little teaching example, right? A little teaching example. We need to pray about everything, every situation. And when you discipline, uh, it needs to be godly, prayerful, and it needs to be in the context of love, not irritation or anger. If you are angry, I've seen people, like angry, rah, you get them. Well, there's one guy, he grabbed the child by the scruff of the back. Like, what are you doing? You know, what is happening here? That's wrong. Angry, clearly angry. You know, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And uh, if you look in James, let's go to Hebrews. I read this earlier, but Hebrews chapter 12. You know, God disciplines us. There's no cosmic court saying, oh, you shouldn't do that. That's bad, right? God disciplines us because he loves us, right? It says in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are approved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. He said, it is for discipline you endure. That means for the results. That's why I endure, for the results. But if you are without discipline, of which you become partakers, then you are illegitimate children, and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good. We ought to mimic that, right? We ought to, ought to be that way. 
He says, or that we would share or may share in his holiness. All discipline from the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, but yet to those who have been trained by it. It is not punitive. It is training. Trained by it. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And after you have spent, you should be restoration. There should be, you should be praying. You should have your child pray and confess to the Lord and you, and, and you're restored. You're forgiven. You know, there may be some consequences, but those will be, those will be mitigated over time. We'll work through that, right? You just want to teach your child, right? Teach your child. Again, don't exasperate them by excessive and unfair discipline. Make sure they know why and make sure it's in the context of love and you're spirit led. Spirit led. It's redemptive. It's redemptive and continue to share, you know, this is why you need Jesus. Because you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. I need Jesus too. Mommy and daddy mess up. We mess up too and, and God spanks us. This is for your good. Pray with your kids afterwards. Continually share the gospel. Teach them to go to Jesus. Help me not to sin. Change their hearts with the word and with obedience to the Lord in relationship to your children. And then lastly, don't drag out the discipline. Don't institute, don't institute a, unreasonable consequences. They should be righteous and they should be redemptive. Okay. Our discipline should mirror the way God lovingly disciplines us. Okay, I could go on forever with caveats and illustrations and just go on and on and on, but uh, back in our passage, we're not to exasperate our children, certainly by not disciplining them, right? We're to bring them up in the discipline, which I just mentioned, and the instruction of the Lord, Ephesians chapter 4. We're running out of time with this word instruction here. Instead of provoking your child to anger, Ephesians 6, 4, you are to bring them up. This is what you do instead of provoking them. You bring them up, you nourish them in the discipline of the Lord. It's his discipline through you, by the way. Don't forget that. It's not your discipline. It is the discipline of the Lord and instruction of the Lord, right? This term instruction comes from the word nutheteo. It speaks of admonishment or, or encouragement. We go up on our kids. We share the word of God. We say, hey, this is what God wants for This is the way you should be. Here's what God says here. We're, we're sharing the word of God. We should be doing that throughout the day. Tenderly feeding and nourishing and addressing the things that need to be contracted through instruction. And then if needed, with rebellion, what we talked about, right? We should be instructing. It is the instruction of the Lord. It is the Lord doing it through you. Through you. My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. We're to be like what the Lord told his people. Oh, Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Uh, Lord your God is one. I'm going to start again. Hear, O Israel, Deuteronomy 6.4. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons. And you shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down, when you rise up. It should be a daily thing. It's not just, okay, it's devotional time. Nothing wrong with that, but that shouldn't be the only time. It should be throughout the day. Just sharing the word of God with your kids that they might become like Jesus, that they first might be saved and they might become like Jesus. And how do we do this? Don't forget the context. You must be in Christ. The secret to the Christian life is Christ. Christ in you. Let his word fill your heart. Choose to obey him and be controlled by his spirit. Set your mind to things above. Set aside sin. Put on Christ. So today we've seen... The child's responsibility, children obey your parents in the Lord. We've seen the father's responsibility. Fathers, do not exasperate your children that they might not lose heart. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up or nourish them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So as we close, I'll start with you kids. Can you think of a time that you disobeyed your parents and you haven't confessed it? Confess it. You see, and maybe some of you kids haven't Come to faith in Jesus. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Lord Jesus, I've disobeyed mommy and daddy. I'm a sinner and I need your, I need salvation. Forgive me. He'll forgive you and you'll be saved. And if you have, if you are saved, now you can go to him. Lord, help me obey mommy and daddy. 
You bet he'll help you. You bet he will. Now, there's some of you with grown kids, and you might recognize uh, that you failed greatly. Now, I'm not talking about those kids when you were unsaved. I'm talking about when you were saved. You knew the Lord, and yet you didn't obey what we have read today. There's no excuse for not obeying, but there is forgiveness. Be forgiven. And I would encourage you, if you were a believer and you, your kids are believers, that you go to them and you say, you know, I've been convicted lately that uh, some of the things I did when I was raising you weren't biblical. They weren't right, and I sinned, and I'm sorry. I just want to apologize. Just leave it at that. Trust the Lord, okay? And then, for those of you who don't have kids, I hope that uh, you've gained some insight in your relationship with the Lord. Uh, we, just like children, need to be continually nourished. We need to be fed. We're disciplined, and we're we're loved, and we're growing in a relationship with Him. Okay, and those of you who still have children, get into the Word of God. And allow God to use that as you obey him uh, for your children to become like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and thank you for how clear it is. And I just pray that uh, we would take it to heart. I pray for any child who's not saved, they'd be saved. I pray they would know their responsibility. They're to obey you. That's obey, obey you by obeying your, their parents in everything. And fathers, I pray that we would not exasperate, and if we have, we'd confess it, Lord God. We would overcome evil with good, Lord God. We'd confess it and be restored, and that we'd also be restored with those that we've sinned against. And Lord, for those of us who have children, Lord, that we would bring them up in the fear and admonition of you, and that we might be ready to share these truths in a, in a gracious, loving way with others who are raising their kids. I pray you'd use this message mightily in the way it's intended. you protect us from uh, those who are evil, who would attempt to twist it, to to impugn or attack. Let's pray you use it for your glory. We thank you in Jesus' name.